Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good day, wherever you may be. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Late Night Parents broadcast here on WGBB 1240 AM in wonderful Long Island. I'm your one of your hosts. It's me, Richie V. We're missing one person today, but sitting across from me, as always, is the wonderful, the beautiful, the Dr. Michelle. How are you doing today, I, Rich? I am fine. How are you? How are you this week? How's it been? Oh, it's been a crazy busy week, but we made it through and we're going to start fresh. We are here. That's right. We made it. The kids are all well. Family's well. Yes, everyone is doing quite well. Thank good, you. Good, good, good. Ted, of course, is not here today. He is having some work done on the castle, as we call it. He's doing some renovations at home mm-hmm. and taking some time off to enjoy himself, which he deserves. You think so? Yeah, he does. He works hard. Okay. If you say so. Because every time I turn around, he's busy on Twitter, having a Twitter party somewhere. Well, that's work. Socializing. Socializing can be work. You still have his back. That's great. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> Always. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So I guess what we'll do, why, why don't we get right into it today? It sounds like we have a, um, a special guest on the phones in a moment, uh, Dr. Hakeem Rahim. Yes, and he is a mental health awareness expert. He's an author. He's an advocate for mental health and i think in may this is mental health illness month and i think this would be the appropriate time for us to have him be one of our speakers for this month that sounds very good and besides it's my birth month so let's celebrate i know (laughs) it's not just your birthday or your birth week the entire month is your birth month that's right coincides with you know cinco de mayo's and whatever other holidays there are so this is all for you that's right see i'm glad that's why i like you i, I understand i understand <laughs> just re- remember that come october that's all i'm gonna say i will don't worry <laughs> so uh dr rahim i believe we have you on the line i'd like to thank you for joining us you are welcome and, and thank you for having me and and i always say when i'm, I'm called dr rahim i I got upgraded and and I got a few uh, few years and a, and a couple more uh, abbreviations after my name, <laughs> so it, it's actually Mr. Rahim. And um, and sometimes I say when when you go through an experience, you actually have a PhD yes. in that experience and a PhD in life. So um, thank you for having me. And one of the things I was thinking about, I said, you know, Doctor Doctor Reed, Doctor Michelle, um, she and I, my mom and her mom. We all grew up in the same church, and uh, that's how we know each other. But one of the things that I'm, I'm grateful for both of you for is that um, I went to the African American History Museum recently, and it was always the people that had the papers or had the voice that, that were the most valuable because they could get a message out. So I'm grateful for you, for both of you, for having this platform to get a message out. So thank you for that. Yes, and thank you for being able to take the time to be out on the show with us. So I think we're going to jump right in. What exactly does it mean to have a mental illness? So great. Thank you for that question. So mental illness. So I think the first thing I want to say is that when people hear the phrase mental illness, mental health, they oftentimes jump right to mental illness. But there's a difference between the two, between having a, a, a good mental health and being mentally healthy 
and mental illness. So mental illness is actually defined by the World Health Organization, and that's the, 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 the organization connected to the UN. And they said that mental illness is the illness of the brain that impacts a number of different um, uh, uh, parts of your, your body and well-being. So it impacts your emotion, impacts your cognition and your thinking, impacts your behaviors, and it ultimately impacts each and every single part of your life. So if you want to look at it, it's a mental health and medical condition. So how, I mean, you know, it sounds like these, all these various symptoms can be encountered by almost anyone, but, but exactly like how common is mental illness? Sure. So mental illness is very common. So they say one out of four, and the statistics shows that one out of four, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, one out of four of every, every adult American is impacted by a mental illness. So think about it. If you have four people in a room, at least one of those people may be diagnosed or experiencing some form of mental health challenge. So when you think about it, anybody that you see, somebody in their life is going to be being impacted by mental illness. So it doesn't, doesn't discriminate by race, by class, by gender, by where you live, zip code, mental illness can impact you and anyone. There's 450 million people worldwide are impacted by mental illness. Now, I was going to say, let's jump into your story because that's why we wanted you to be on the show in the first place because especially growing up in our community, it's not common for us to really talk about any type of mental illness. Um, we've had a social worker on before. We've had a, soci- uh, a psychologist on in the past. And a common thread that we find is that especially growing up in the church, you're told to you need to pray about it and you're just not praying hard enough. So I want to hear about your story and then also how you go out into the community to really affect a change. Great, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so as you know, I'm, I'm a mental speaker. And my journey with mental illness actually was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in college. So I'm from right here in Long Island, New York. My family's from the Caribbean. And I grew up in Hempstead. So for 17 years, uh, I was doing really well in school. I was a valedictorian of my high school class, valedictorian of my junior high school class, and a prom king, um, drum major of, of, uh, of my band. And then at 17, I went off to college at Harvard University. And like um, many other people, uh, 17, 18, 19 is actually a classic diagnosis age of mental illness. I actually was, uh, that's when I was diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder. So I came from, from Hempstead, Long Island, going to Harvard, in Cambridge, in Boston, first time away from home, 17 years old, on campus, 1998, and boom, I'm hit with an anxiety attack, so a panic attack. I didn't know what it was at the time. So my heart was racing, my chest was tight, um, I felt nauseous to my stomach. But again, I didn't know or have the words or vocabulary to put behind it that that was actually the onset of mental illness. So at 19, I was uh, taken to the hospital, and I had hallucinations and delusions, and delusions being false beliefs. So I thought I was Jesus and God, which is also a common, um, common symptom of mania, which is a high part of 
bipolar disorder. And I experienced depression and anxiety. So at 19, I was hospitalized, and I actually started taking medication at that point. Um, and it's been a long road towards uh, recovery, and it's been a long road towards being able to talk about my journey and talk about my struggles, but as well as my successes and thriving. And that's really my goal. It's to say that, listen, you know, you can go through mental illness, but if, one, we say it's okay to talk about what you're going through, two, there's no shame in seeking help, and three, if you're diagnosed, there is hope. Um, you know, it's possible. Recovery is possible. Well, I first, I, I like to say, after hearing that part of your story, thank you very much for coming forth and being so open and sharing it with, with us and with the world, basically. Because as you've already indicated, especially within our community, it's it's hard for someone to come out and admit that there's an issue, let alone it be a, a, a possible mental health issue. There's lots of stigmas surrounding the, surrounding that. And for someone to be able to come out publicly and you know and admit that yes there's an issue but it's treatable and want to come out and help others um is really a, a strong thing and a great thing so thank you very much for that yeah you're welcome you know it, it, i've been from churches to synagogues to um you know queens bitch projects to dalton school to forensic hospitals and i can tell you you know when you share your journey that listen you 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 can be hospitalized you can take medication and, and feel like you don't feel like feel like you don't belong or, or it's hopeless but when you have that support and when you can find the right help and find the right treatment um, there's nothing to be ashamed of you know and in fact um, one of the statistics shows that 80% of people who have depression um, can recover and 80% of people actually also with bipolar disorder if they can find the right treatment they can recover as well um, so I do, but I don't want to take anything away from saying how difficult it is to live a life with a serious mental illness. And uh, so, so it is hard, but it, recovery is possible. That's one of my key, um, key points. So where are you now as far as in your treatment, but then also how are you giving back to the community to spread the awareness about mental illness yeah so so where I'm where I am at so um, since 2012 I've been speaking openly about my journey with bipolar disorder and highs and lows and from taking medication to gaining 60 pounds to losing weight to um, the disorientation of medication um, the the emotional stress and anxiety I've been talking about that openly and also the thriving piece I've been talking about that openly since 2012, and that, that has been an incredible journey. Um, I've spoken to over 50,000 students, um, many right here on Long Island, across the country. I've, I've traveled to 15 states um, to talk to students and, and at conferences and nurses and doctors and, of course, family members and people living with mental illness. Um, I've been able to travel to Jamaica to share that, that message that, um, that we can't discriminate, we we, we can't push the person to the back room or say that's just the weird uncle or we don't know what's wrong with him. Oh, yeah, he went away um, and he's just messed up now. No, maybe that person is struggling because when one person in the family struggles with the mental illness, the entire family struggles. 
Um, and I know that's true for my personal life and for many of the people that I speak with. So, um, so I've traveled to 15 different states. Um, my, really the highlight of my work is speaking to students. I've actually started a nonprofit called I Am Acceptance, Inc., and what I do through I'm Acceptance and the organization, we're looking to end suicide on college campuses mm-hmm. by promoting spaces of community, wellness, and acceptance, and really showing that you can talk about what you're going through and not have to hide in shame and in fear. Um, and and, that's, and that's, that's really the part of the work is how do you use your personal journey? How do you use your test to, to talk about your testimony? And how do you talk about it in a way that and show that you can go through it but come out the other end. But also also give light that it's not easy. Um, so I really want to get that point across that, you know, it's not easy, but it is possible. You know, going back to your, your personal story, uh, you mentioned that it was pretty much when you started your, your college experience that this manifested itself on you. Were, be, be, well, it's a two-part question. Um, before that, were there, in, in hindsight, did yeah. you have any indications or, you know, looking back saying, you know, once, once speaking to doctors, oh, yeah, maybe these were beginning indicators of a problem. And secondarily, since you also mentioned that, you know, it's many times people get diagnosed around that age period, uh, are there, is there any association with that and the fact that, yes, starting school, starting a new life, starting the more adult life, the stresses and tensions that come along with that, is, is that a contributing factor? Yeah, so for me, um, my mental illness did not start uh, manifesting to college till I went away to school in 1998 at 17. But the statistics show that half of all lifetime cases of mental illness do begin by the age of 14. Hmm. So by the time of middle school, um, young adults and teens and adolescents are already beginning to show signs, begin to show signs of mental illness, whether it be depression, bipolar disorder, they begin to show signs then. But for me, in my case, um, I really fell in the classic age of diagnoses for young men, which is around 17, 18, 19. And for young women, it's a little bit older. Um, I have a lot of uh, friends and extended family and and family of my my, uh, mom and dad who've had sons or daughters and whose sons or daughters or nieces and nephews went away to school and they said, oh, you know, they must have been doing some drugs or something away at school and they came back and, mm-hmm. and you know, they're all disheveled and not doing well and, and locked in their room when, in fact, they may, that person may have been experiencing um, onset of mental illness. Um, for instance, when I first came back to Hempstead after my freshman year, um, I had a manic episode, and, and again, that's when you have hallucinations and delusions. And I was actually walking up and down the streets of, of, uh, of Hempstead and South Hempstead and Baldwin, hmm. which is right here in Nassau County, and I, I thought, you know, I thought I was Buddha, you know. So my parents at that particular point didn't know what mental illness was. So when I first had that break, that psychosis, they sent me to Grenada. They said, oh, man, our son is just stressed out. He mm-hmm. had a rough year, first year at school, so he just needs to relax. Right. But then I dropped into a depression. So, yes, yeah, so there was no evidence prior, but mental illness can be diagnosed as early as, um, as 14, uh, even earlier for some people. Um, but 
the classic age of diagnosis is 17, 18, 19, and I fell right in that range. So what are some of the signs that we should look out for in children? Because now, I mean, kids in elementary school are starting to get stressed out and anxious about taking exams, especially when Common Core came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. There were so many kids in my um, son's class that were just throwing up during yeah. the test. And just yeah. if you said test, and then they would get all anxious, and before you know it, they had to run out and go to the bathroom. That's right. So yeah. what do we look out for? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Do, do, do both of you get sad? Do you, do you get sad? Ever, of course. Yeah, right? Okay. But does that mean you have a depressive disorder? I would think no. not. No, right? Because so, everybody gets sad. It doesn't necessarily mean you have a depressive disorder. And, and do you get nervous, right? Yes. Everybody gets nervous, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't necessarily mean we have an anxiety disorder. So in my presentations, and especially to students, I, I really want to make it clear that if you have a big test and you're nervous, it doesn't necessarily mean you have an anxiety disorder. Um, or if something happens where you, you wanted to, you know, be a part of this team or, or, you, or you fail the test and you're sad, it doesn't mean you have a depressive disorder because that's just the natural um, range of human experience and human emotion. So it's a mental illness or a mental disorder when it lasts for two weeks or more, and this is how clinicians define it, when, when the, the disturbance begins to impact um, your everyday life, so your quality of life, um, your relationships, as well as um, the things you do every day that's when you begin to see that, that a disorder is emerging. So it has to last for two weeks or more. So just because you're, you, you have a you know, few days that you're anxious or a few days that you're sad doesn't mean you have a mental disorder, but when it begins to impact your quality of life over an extended period of time, that's when you have to be concerned. So, so for, for a young person, you have to look at the major things in their life. What, what is it? It's, it's like uh, friends school activities, um, all these different domains in their life that are the most important pieces. So when you see their drastic changes, let's say you have an A student and now this student is failing classes or they were, you know, they were always well put together, their rooms are very clean and now their rooms are more disheveled and, and out of order. So you really want to look for signs of drastic change as well as um, um, changes in behavior and, and overall well-being. And those are some indications. Mm. Okay. So now, are there different levels or severities, is probably a better word for it, yeah. of, of mental illness? And if so, what would be considered a more serious mental illness, if such that's, a thing exists? That's a great question. And, and again, you know, ha- one out of four adults uh, experience uh, at any given moment, Americans have some form of mental illness, one out of five adolescents, and they say the statistics show, according to NAMI, which is National Alliance on Mental Illness, and that's a, a particular, particularly great organization. Uh, and I'll mention the name again, and, and you can share it as well, because that's a, a great resource. Um, but they say that one out of ten people at some point in their life will experience some form of mental illness. So... There's two, you can, you can categorize it as, as acute mental illness or chronic mental illness. So when you talk about acute mental illness, that's something that can be treated. It may last for six months, a year, 
Now we're talking about if somebody's grieving, somebody passes away, let's say you have a confluence of events, whether it be somebody, a death in the family, you lose your job, there's an accident, something happens in your life, and these events come together and you may develop an anxiety disorder, you may develop some form of mild depression, but that can be treated. When you talk about serious or chronic conditions, you're looking at clinical depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and those conditions are, are the more serious type that are chronic, meaning that you have to manage it throughout your life. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask something that's a little personal. Yeah. Because, like I said earlier, a lot of times we don't necessarily want to open up. So you're relatively young, you're single, and how do you open up to someone that you meet and you're forming a relationship with to discuss your history of being um, bipolar or That's having bipolar question. disorder? That's a great question. Actually, I'm engaged. I'm recently engaged. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm recently engaged, and 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 that's. But I get that question all the time, especially from moms. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm, I speak a lot in in support groups, and mothers are always like, who you know, especially with sons. You're like, I, I want to know that my son, my daughter, will be okay. You know, I want to know that they will have somebody that they can be in a relationship with. And one of the things that I I, I realize is that. You know, nobody wants to be in a relationship with somebody that's not taking care of themselves, mm-hmm. mental illness or not. You know, somebody can have trust issues and not necessarily have a mental illness, but be very difficult to be in a relationship with, right? I think the most important thing is taking care of yourself. Um, and, and again, you, know, you don't have to disclose something on your first date or second date. Matter of fact, you know, it's empower- I feel I, one of the things I talk about is being empowered to talk about and when to disclose, when to tell somebody that you're dealing with, thriving, struggling with a mental illness because it's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is a thing that's going to impact the relationship. But at the same time, um, uh, you know, it's your choice when to tell. But, But the main thing is that you have to take care of yourself, mental illness or not. Yes. You know, I would almost add into that that if you're not ready to tell the person that there's a problem or that you're experiencing these issues you might not be ready for that long-term permanent relationship with that person because you have to be completely open with that person at that time and that's true i think and i think um at at, at a particular point in the relationship right um it's definitely important and, and you're totally right because you know there there is there is so much and, and again that you want to talk about person first right it's yes i have and and language is so important especially when talking about mental illness because the example is often used you don't say somebody is cancer you say they have cancer Mm -hmm. whereas when we talk about bipolar disorder schizophrenia we say that person is a schizophrenic that person is bipolar and when we talk about the illness first language it really disempowers and i know it's disempowered me in, in in the past where I lead thinking that I'm this person with a mental illness verse, I'm Hakeem Rahim, and I happen to be diagnosed and living with and thriving with the condition. Um, so the reason why I say that is that it's important to distinguish the person from the illness at the
And if a person can, can manage their wellness and manage their illness, you can share just like somebody says who's a diabetic and wants to share that, hey, here's what happens sometimes if I don't eat the right things or if I don't have my insulin, right? Just mm-hmm. like a person who has depression or bipolar disorder who's managing really well can say, here's what happens if I get symptomatic. Here's what happens if I get triggered, if I don't have enough sleep, if I don't, I'm not eating the right things. But it takes, a one, a level of self-awareness, and two, a knowledge of mental illness and what you're dealing with and sharing that with the person that you're with because you can't change anybody's behavior, but you can educate yourself and you can educate that person so then they can begin to adapt and change how they're interacting with you. And I was going to say, just coming from the point of view as a physician, when I have a patient that comes in that is either going through some type of depression or anxiety, I tell them it's nothing to be ashamed about. I said, if you have high blood pressure or diabetes, I'm going to talk to you and say, okay, you know, you're at a point now where you need to be on medicine. And I'm not going to say, okay, don't go and exercise. Don't go and um, change how you're eating. Don't worry about stressful things. I said, it's a total holistic view because it involves all aspects of your life so when it comes to any type of mental illness you just taking medicine is just one aspect of it it's going to go for counseling it's going to be talking to people about your relationships and how you interact with them so it's the same thing i said there's no difference i said it's an illness and i said and how you see it is going to affect how you get treated that's right which that's goes right. into my next question is how do you find the right person for your treatment yeah that's great that's great and i love um and just taking a step back and i love the fact that you talk share that with your patients that it's it's, it's the condition and it's not who you are mm-hmm. right and and one of the things that I would add to what you're saying is that that's part of the condition. That's part of the, the, the symptoms of depression. That's part of the symptoms of anxiety. With depression, really these illnesses you turn in on yourself. So with depression, some of your thoughts, the cognition is nothing's ever going to change. I'm always going to be this way. The world is a disaster. My life is never going to change. I might as well take my life, right? Mm-hmm. But if somebody, that, but that's just the symptoms not just but that are this those are some of the symptoms of depression because mm-hmm. um, when you are depressed you have let you have lower energy you have um, thoughts potentially harming yourself right so when somebody has a flu we don't say you know um, you're bad because you have those symptoms or you are those symptoms but we just identify that person as being sick or having having an illness so that's the same thing we really need to do with depression and anxiety Note that when you feel this way, that is the sickness, that is the illness, and it's not you. Um, but it takes uh, one, as, as us as, as people who are more knowledgeable about mental illness, especially as practitioners, um, to really help, our, help, really help the people that you're serving um, identify the difference between who they are from what the illness is, how this illness is impacting them. Um, so I really wanted to, to really make that distinction somebody who's experiencing illness and um, the illness itself. So I think that's very important. Um, but to, to find a practitioner, that, that's, 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 um, that's, the, you know, that's such an important point um, because, as, as you know, as a doctor, 
you know, one of the first steps towards getting better is finding a provider, finding a pr- practitioner. Um, one of the things that, that you can do is, one, ask your local provider, local practitioner. Your primary care is a very important um, a step in getting that, that treatment. Um, another thing is you, you want to know that, that you're going to what types of practitioners there are out there and the different types of mental health counselors and um, providers, whether it be a psychiatrist who is an MD and they can prescribe medication, or a psychologist, um, or a clinical social worker, or a licensed mental health counselor. So all these different uh, practitioners do help um, uh, with uh, treatment of mental illness. I'm going to break in here just for a moment. You are listening to Late Night Parents with Richie V and Dr. Michelle, and we are speaking to Mr. Hakeem Rahim, mental health awareness expert, author, and advocate. Uh, Hakeem, I've got a question, and this would be from the perspective of our listeners as well. Um, what should they do if they have a family member or friend who seems to be exhibiting some of these symptoms you've, you've highlighted? Uh, what should a person do in that case, be it a friend or family member? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and again, w- when we think about mental illness, the, the, the first thing that we're always going to notice is the changes in behavior. So whether it's a, it's a child or, or a family member, if you see them becoming more drawn, if you see them, uh, and I know, and I'll speak from my personal experience, you know, the times when I've been become more withdrawn or not wanting to go out or not wanting to even do the things that I normally do or not get out of bed, those are beginning to be signs that something is wrong for me. Um, so that's one of the things I would say for family members is to notice changes in behavior. Is your family member starting to become more drawn? How is their mood? Um, uh, you know, how are they interacting with you a little bit different? Um, and one of the things that you want to do is always be able to ask questions. You know, call up a, 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 a family provider, a doctor, or, um, or even, and I think one of the key things is that, you know, as people of color, we are very, we are very family, communal, network-driven people. And sometimes we forget that the resources we have right in our access, right in our networks, right in our communities. And, you know, it's so important to be able to ask, even if it's uh, in a faith-based community, is there somebody in your network who's a social worker, who's a doctor, um, who's a pr- practitioner that you can go to them and ask them that question? Um, so I think the first thing is, is really seeking that that. Um, clinical, that somebody that knows a little bit more than you do, when you start noticing these changes in, 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 a, um, in a family member's behavior. But sometimes people say, where can I go to find this information? Sometimes it's just a question away or a person away. Like, um, you know, uh, Dr. Michelle, as you are in the faith, in the church, there, there are people, right, sometimes in your network you don't even realize who can provide you with answers and resources um, that you may not have. Mm-hmm. Definitely good. And now, um, what local support groups do you think that people should reach out to? Just in case, I know for me, sometimes, especially, and I think it's probably only going to get worse if this whole health care act passes the Senate, yeah. but trying to find a mental health 
person, either a psychiatrist, a social worker, or a psychologist for patients to talk to that takes their insurance sometimes yeah. is the hardest thing. So my prayer is that eventually it will not become an issue, but right yeah. now it's a major issue. And we need to make sure that people know about the support groups out there that they can turn to, especially if they're not able to see their specialists as much as they need to. Yeah, that, that's, that's such a great point. Um, and, you know, I, I was very fortunate to, one, accept, because acceptance is a huge piece, um, because it doesn't matter how much resources that you have, if you don't accept the fact that you have a condition um, that's the, really the first step in, towards a, in terms of healing is acceptance. But once you do accept, it's like you have to then have the access to resources and resources that are available for you to use, right? And sometimes, many times in communities of color, one, there might not be doctors who look like us um, who can provide culturally competent and sensitive care to our needs. Um, there might not be providers in our communities or be able to access, um, uh, uh, whether it be through fiscal means and insurance or even transportation means. Where's the closest doctor? You know, where's the closest uh, therapist? So it's important to know that, one, we have to have access as well as acceptance, and those are two key pieces. But the, for the question around support, um, there's a great organization called NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and in fact, I've done... Um, it was one of the first organizations that I worked with when I first started speaking about my journey with mental illness. And they have a local chapter, um, NAMI Queens Nassau, and they have um, uh, support groups. They also have educational courses for both family members and people living with mental illness. Uh, so you know, that's a huge one for your uh, listeners and a listening audience um, is NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. They're in all 50 states and they have local affiliates, uh, and DBSA, Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. Mm. That's another national nonprofit, and they do have local support groups. There's a Mental Health Association of America, and there's a, there's a number of local affiliates um, in, the, in the metro area. Uh, and there, there, there are a number of other ones, and I think it's important to, and I can, what I can do also, Michelle, is send you a link Okay. Organizations, and maybe that's something that you can can list on the site. Yes, um, and that would be perfect. Yeah, yeah, because it's so important to have access and knowledge. So, I'm curious, what are the different treatment options tra- options that are available? I mean, you know, is it just the one-on-one conversations with someone? Are there some options that involve the other family members? Is it just medications? What are the options that people should think of or expect to receive? So, so when I think about, um, and I'm, I'm reflecting on, on my personal experience and, and what I share in, with people and family members and people living with mental illness, I look at it as um, you know, it's not only about staying out of the hospital, but how do we lead good lives? How do we, how do we recover? How do we lead our best lives, right? And I think there's a couple of components to that. One is treatment. How do you get um, uh, the care that you need? How do you get the medical care that you need? And some of the things that I've used and, and people living with mental illness do use are um, uh, 
I can, and it still is a part of my life, I still take medication. Mm-hmm. And some people really do struggle um, finding the right medication, staying on medication, um, and it's really difficult. Uh, but if you do find a, a good combination of medications, which I, I have found, um, uh, but only through being on 30 to 40 different combinations of meds, uh, wow. uh, the medication, yeah, it's very, very difficult taking medication. But if you do find one that works, it, it is an extremely helpful tool in your toolkit um, and in really, really leading this good life, right? So medication is important and medication management. So whether you're going to your psychiatrist or nurse practitioner, so you can begin to find the right levels and, and self-report and identify how you're feeling and share with them how the medications are working for you. Um, so again, med management, medication, therapy. They can be group therapy. They can be one-on-one therapy. They can be family counseling. And really knowing what therapy is. And it's really important to do, you know, and I think that's, that's the piece, again, is the educational process. Therapy is not an everyday relationship conversation with a friend, but it is a relationship where you're able to process things that you've been through on a daily basis or in your past that can help you um, process how you're feeling, how has how what you're going through now been impacted by what you've been through before, and using um, that relationship to do that. Um, so those are some of the treatments that, that are available that I have used and support groups, peers. Um, peers are very important because somebody that has gone through what you've gone through can share some insight um, way over and above uh, somebody has not been what you've been through. So peer groups are so, so important as, as, a, as a form of treatment as well. Well, Hakeem, I am looking at the clock here. And not to rush you off at all, because I think we could sit here and maintain this conversation conversation for quite some time now. <laughs> but first, again, I one, I would like to congratulate you on identifying the issues that you were having. And so I'm, I'm very happy that you were able to recover from what was afflicting you, uh, because I, I can't imagine what going through life like that would be, especially when it hits you at so young. And yeah. uh, it really sounds like you've come a long way and, again, should be uh, congratulated congratulated for coming out and wanting to help so many other people. Thank you. And I, and I have to say that now my family support, my mom, my dad, my sister, uh, family support is so in, so important and, and, and is, is a huge part of, of recovery, having a stable home, having a stable mm-hmm. support system. Um, and I, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't leave here and in this space in this conversation without saying that there are so many people in my life who have given to me and for me um, that that why I can, can do the work that I do. Um, so it's, 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 it's not just me, it's, it's, it's the people around me who have empowered me that I can now go forward and say again, it's okay to talk about what you're going through and there's no shame um, through the work that I'm doing. Yes, and we want you to continue to do the work because you're not just local you seem to be national and international, so yeah. we're looking forward to keeping in contact with you and oh, possibly you having it. you back on the show. Absolutely. But, but before we end, we need for you to let everyone know how best can they keep up with Hakeem Rahim. Hey, you got it. You got it. Um, you can go to my website, which is HakeemRahim.com, H-A-K-E-E-M-R-A-H-I-M.com. 
and I also have a, a nonprofit I founded, and I work with a number of college students, and we're going on a college tour this fall again, and we have student ambassadors, and the name of the organization is IamAcceptance.org. So you can find it on the web, IamAcceptance.org. And you can email me from either of those websites, and it's my first name, Hakeem at HakeemRahim.com, or Hakeem at IamAcceptance.org. And if you want me to speak in your school or uh, at your organization or at your college or just have a question, um, do reach out, and I'll, and I'll try my best to direct you to a place where you can get the help that you need. Hakeem, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, I do look forward to speaking with you again in the future, and uh, we've been we've really enjoyed this conversation. You got it. Thank you so much. And, and, and the, the newspaper and and having a voice out there on the radio, uh, you you know I can't I can't tell you how much this is this is so valuable. So thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, you're no, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Take you care. It. Good speaking with you. All right, Rich. So guess what? It is springtime now. It's springtime. And some people can't wait to get out there and ride in their cars. Mm, and their motorcycles. And uh, Oh, yeah. Did you give me my pink ninja or my red one? Uh, I don't do pink on any motorcycle. Sorry. <laughs> red we can do. We can do red. Um, I can't do pink. Uh, sorry. No. All right. So what do we need to do to be ready for the springtime as far as with our cars? Well, you know, so we had this conversation come fall mm-hmm. when things were getting colder. The yes. Things you need to check. A lot of it's the same. So first thing, the important things, tires. Mm-hmm. So just like you had to check your air pressure at the beginning of the season, at the, of the cold season, you need to do the same thing now when it gets warmer. Okay. Because when it was colder, you put more air in, air shrinks, less pressure. When it gets warmer, it's actually going to build more pressure. And the tires could be over the amount that's recommended for your car. Mm-hmm. So first thing you want to do, if you don't already have a little air pressure checker, which everyone should have, doctor, <laughs> he's making the face, everyone. Um, next time you get your oil change, let's let's say that then, or you know, I get the air pressure checker. No, you should have that. Okay. And look at the open your driver's <laughs> side door. There's a little sticker inside the door that says the air pressure that your tires should be set at. Mm-hmm. Check the pressure on the tires and adjust it accordingly. That's the first thing, because it's not purely a safety thing. It also can affect your gas mileage. Mm -hmm. So if your tires are overpressure, they will wear faster and end up buying tires more often. And if they're underpressurized, it's actually going to make you go a little slower and cause more drag, and it will affect your fuel economy. Mm. So air pressure is is one of those important things that people kind of forget. Don't just go by that pressure sensor that shows up on your dashboard. Oh, because that's what I do. Well, look at the number. <laughs> if the number on that says the same or within one or two as the number on that sticker, you're good. Oh, Otherwise, it just usually just it. says low pressure. Okay, so you need to check it. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's that's tires. Um, you always, at the same time, want to make sure your oil level is correct. This mm-hmm. is a good time to do a full overall evaluation. Look okay. at your oil levels. If you did a uh, different level or different weight oil for the winter as the summer, which in some climates people really need to, mm-hmm. this would be the time to put the, the, winter, the summer weight oil in and get the winter weight oil out. Okay. Uh, radiator fluids, you want to check those. Windshield wiper fluids, I know mine gets used all winter long, getting mm-hmm. salt and junk off. You want to just go over the vehicle, give it a once-over, make sure everything is ready for the summer. So you can go out there, take that drive, hit the roads, have some fun. That's right. Go on some romantic rides. Upstate, downstate, down south. 
out east. That's right. Hit, hit the wineries, but don't drive. <laughs> don't drive or have someone else driving, but go out there, hit the wineries, enjoy yourself. Well, you can go to the wineries, but just don't drink if you're the driver. Well, that's what I'm saying. But then what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> But also, let's we'll keep it in the car for a second because, as you know, I like to keep it clean and shiny as much as possible. But yes. that's also good for the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So especially over the winter, there's a you know out here in Long Island they put sand down. There's a lot of salt in the sand. Mm-hmm. Salt and that salt is horrendous for your car. The salt eats up the metal. It eats up the finish. So you want to get at least one good car wash in. I say you'd better to do it by hand. But mm-hmm. you might want to go to a, a professional okay. that can do an underbody wash and just really just rinses out the bottom of the car. Mm -hmm. Then get out there and maybe, you know, break out that elbow grease and a little waxing, a little scrubbing, washing, get in the grooves, clean it all out. You're talking to the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The boys aren't here right now because you can have the boys do that work. This is great work for the boys. But, yeah, that's you want to keep an eye on all those things for your vehicle. Keep your vehicle happy. That's good then. And we can drive safely. Yes. Now, were you a Star Wars fan? No, I was not. Not really at all. Uh, I feel bad, though. I mean, because I've had, I went to Stony Brook. So Stony Brook would always have that Mm -hmm. big fest every year. Mm -hmm. And some of my classmates would go. And one of my classmates even named his son Luke. Really? Yes. Because of the movies. That's right. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know if I would admit to that if it had happened. But you know what? That's a true believer. Mm -hmm. Well, we just had the fourth. Happy May the Fourth be with you. It's uh, the unofficial Star Wars holiday. (laughs) Just missed it. (laughs) I was a big Star Wars fan when I was younger, but I did not name any of my children after a Star Wars character. No, I missed that. I don't know. For some reason, I just didn't. I never got into it, really. I think not, not to sound sexist, but I think it was more a boy thing. To be honest, even though Princess Leia, I mean, a lot of girls like Princess Leia and her little buns on her hair and all that. So, well, our studio audience, Ashley, she said she wasn't into it either. So maybe it was a guy thing. Flying right in space and all. (laughs) Okay, that's all right. But yeah, so we mentioned that. Uh, Happy, happy fourth. May the fourth be with you. Thank you. Same to you. Now, Long Island Railroad. You don't take the railroad. I don't. Not really at all. Lucky, lucky you. It seems like you guys have really been getting it lately. This this season, they've just been getting hit between accidents that were their fault, things which weren't their fault. Mm -hmm. And last week, unfortunately, I missed it. I got out a little early that day. But supposedly, a pipe somewhere in Penn Station broke. And raw sewage is raining down in Penn Station in the public area. Crazy. This is New York. These things are not supposed to happen. Well, you know, in New York, everything happens. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But to their, to their, you know, to to their good, they had it all cleaned up and everything the next morning. No, two days. Took them two full days to get it all cleaned up, clear Mm -hmm. out. They had roped it off, sealed it off with plastic. So they they did what they needed to do to keep it safe, I guess. Now, did that affect the commute the next day? The next day, no. Just that night. Wow, that's so good. At least to, they got it cleaned up nicely. They they did what they had to do. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. So, what do you have planned for next week? Next week? You know what? I I was so busy with this week, I didn't even look into next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the weather being nicer. Yes. Hopefully it gets a little warmer. I it's can get out to. there, get a few runs, and maybe get on my bike. Mm-hmm. Start riding my bike. Mm-hmm. Well, my bicycle, not my motorbike no, I, that I don't have. That red ninja. <sighs> yes. 
The most I can do is say when I bring it in, I will try to remember to bring another helmet. That's right. I'll speak to Linda to, yes, for Linda to, to remind you. No problem. Because she, <laughs> she hardly ever wants to ride. So I'll give you a ride around the block. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, yeah. And then my book is getting really close to coming out. So The book. Uh, I, I have yet to see anything besides. I think yes. it was one of the versions of the covers. Yes. I haven't, I haven't seen this book. So I'm praying that in the next two to three weeks, awesome. we'll actually be able to have it out in hand. In hand. And, and can we have you read a, a portion of a chapter yeah, online? Of course. Live of presentation. Course. Anything. Nice. Anything for late night parents. Oh, look at her. Yeah. So that's really what I've been focusing on is um, getting that ready and preparing for been launching because I want mm -hmm. to really go and visit the different states because mm -hmm. my whole book is called Mentally Fit, Physically Strong, The right. Fit Doc's Guide to Real Life, Real Fitness, Real Health. And the point is, is that there are so many simple things that we can do just to become a healthier society, mm -hmm. especially given in light where we don't know what's going to happen about the Health Care Act. And I can't stress oh, that enough. <laughs> I... So I really want to do a state to state trip right and launch my book Good. and if possible ashley will come along with me and we can run a half marathon in every state oh uh, you might have to ask linda about this too because she's that's one of her things she wants to do the marathon well i don't think she wants to do the marathon in every state anymore no half marathon but the half marathon half she, would, she would do that so we could do linda ashley and maybe tia Oh, this is this is a, a party now. And We're gonna have to then, get a tour bus for you wait, soon. And then late night parents can <laughs> put it actually, on the side of the bus. Yes, and we could broadcast from the different locations. I'm not arguing with this. That sounds like a great idea. I think this is a good idea. Ashley's making a face like, uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> when you get back to work, discuss that with Ted. I I will. Ted, wherever you are right now, I hope you're enjoying yourself either with hammer and nail or watching someone else with hammer and nail or sitting back enjoying a, a nice adult beverage. So what do you have planned for this week, Rich? This week, back to work. It's the finals begin for our students. Oh, yes. So there'll be some extra hours to put in, you know, because this is the roughest time of year for mm -hmm. them. All the stress, everything, especially those who are graduating this year. Wow. Oh, you can you can see them by the look in their eye. You know, they're kind of happy that it's almost over. But not but happy enough. Not happy enough. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we try to do everything we can to make it as, as easy a situation for them. So that will be my week for the most part. Okay. And then next week we're not going to be here because it is Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank so you. I, won't, I doubt I'll see you before then. <laughs> and if it applies, Ashley, happy Mother's Day to you. She's like, nope, not me. <laughs> <laughs> She's an aunt. She's a Happy godmother. Okay, that's it. So that everybody's a mother. Everyone's a mother. A mother figure. Mother. And, and otherwise, that I believe is uh, that's all I've got going on. Yes. So again, th everyone, you have been listening to Late Night Parents. Thank you for listening to us. We hope you enjoy your week. Have a great day. Great Have a night. great week, everyone. And see you in two weeks. Thank you.